Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio show number 487, The Dynamics of Work and Business Activities. Today we're going to be talking about whether there is a way to perform business activities more humanely. I'm Joe Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage for Success core team. The Engage for Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, inspiring people and workplaces to thrive. And we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our website, engagesuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list and all our social media links are there too. My guest today is Bruno Signaccio. Is that how you pronounce it, Bruno? That's okay. <laughs> Who's author of The Art of Compassionate Business, Main Principles to the Human-Oriented Enterprise. So we're going to be talking today, as we said, about uh, whether we can perform our business activities more humanely. Perhaps start, Bruno, by uh, introducing yourself and telling us a bit about who you are and what you do and about the book. Thank you very much for your invite, Joe. I feel very honored to be here. Uh, well, I'm a consultant for nearly uh, more than 20 years uh, on international marketing and also on compassionate business over the last uh, five years. And... Um, well, I have been advising companies on different strategies, how to access international markets and also marketing strategies. But in the last few years, I have been advising companies on how they can become more compassionate, more human-oriented, but at the same time, more profitable. I mm -hmm. feel, according to my research, that it's not incompatible to be compassionate-oriented and also human-oriented, but also profit-oriented. Mm -hmm. My my latest book is titled The Art of Compassionate Business, Main, Pri Main Principle for the Human-Oriented Enterprise. And this book is about different principles that companies can apply to become much more human-oriented, especially in the workplace, in relation to customers, in relation to other stakeholders, such as suppliers, community members, and others. Lovely. Thank you. So let's start by talking about what you actually mean by the compassionate workplace. What 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 is, what is a compassionate workplace? This is a very interesting question. And a compassionate workplace, according to research, is a place where employees can treat each other in a very supportive manner. This means that we leave aside all the dark side of politics. For example, one-upmanship, slandering, turf wars, and other aspects of politics that generally they are polluting the workplace. But also in a compassionate workplace, uh, employees are allowed to give their opinions, they are allowed to participate in big decisions, and they are also allowed to express their fears and concerns. And what we call the brutal truth or brutal facts are mentioned without any fear. So if there is something that is not going so well, employees can discuss this with their superiors, with managers and other employees without the fear of being punished. In a compassionate workplace, there is no fear or very little fear. Most of the workplaces are infused with a lot of fear. Fear of being fired, fear of making mistakes, fear of, for example, being innovative or acting in a non-traditional way. Instead, in a compassionate workplace, according to research, employees can be themselves. 
they, they, they can also express their emotions and their fears if they if they have any problem for example with work they can look for some support coaching or mentoring and in these loving workplaces people try to support one another and assist in a very kind way and respect each other different opinions diverse opinions are respected and encouraged uh, and they're welcome and in mm -hmm. this workplace when uh, companies uh, allow employees to treat each other in a kind way there is a very important research study that corroborated the fact that in this workplace, employee engagement goes up, absenteeism goes down, uh, employees want to remain in the company, customer satisfaction also goes up. Why? Because when employees are happy, they feel supported, they're in an environment of psychological safety, these employees tend to treat customers in a kind way. And also in this work environment, also uh, employees try to give their best. They try to reach their full potential. And this impact positively on productivity that goes up and creativity and innovation that also goes up. And this impact positively on the bottom line. Mm -hmm. So that all sounds great. It sounds like just the sort of place that uh, most people, in fact, all people, I would imagine, <laughs> would like to work in. Why do you think it doesn't happen in lots of cases? Very interesting question. And I, according to my research, and I mentioned this in the book, The Art of Compassionate Business, uh, the most important reason is, first of fear. Uh, people are fearful. Uh, when you are fearful, you cannot uh, um, harness your capabilities. You cannot reach your full potential. This is one of the main reasons. Workplaces that are infused with fear. The other reason is a quantitative approach on business. What do I mean by this? Quantitative approach on business is that most companies, the majority of companies, try to focus on what can be measured, what can be counted. For example, profits, market share, sales, productivity, these are parameters that can be measured. We call this key performance indicator. However, in business, there is another set of parameters that are as important or probably more important than quantitative parameters that are camaraderie, uh, loyalty, uh, morale, uh, supportiveness, compassion, that these parameters, qualitative, cannot be measured, but they're important to foster long-lasting relationship among colleagues in the workplace, but also between the company and different stakeholders, such as customers, suppliers. When companies focus exclusively on quantitative aspects of business, profit, market share, they tend to dismiss by default the, the fostering of these qualitative aspects that are so important to nurturing a relationship with the stakeholders and within the workplace. So my advice to companies that I always give in my talks is to balance the quantitative aspect of business that are very important, profit market share, but also the qualitative aspect of business. There is a famous thinker that observed, not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that can be counted counts. So in some cases, there are things that cannot be counted, qualitative aspect of business that are so important because when you foster a strong relationship with, within the workplace and with other stakeholders, this strong, long-lasting, this robust relationship with the stakeholders are the ones that bring about these key performance indicators such as profit, market share, and sale. You cannot get successful in business without relationships. So this means that the most important factor in business and within the workplace is relationships because with good relationship you can get more productive you can serve customer in a better way 
you can get more creative and innovative. You can have a better team uh, work uh, environment. So instead, when the relationships are deteriorated, they're weak, they, they, they are not robust, these parameters tend to go down. Why? Because we need a strong relationship within the company and between the company and different stakeholders to, to succeed economically speaking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So before we started the interview, we were talking about some of the sort of uh, potential issues in workplaces. And one of the things we talked about as being an issue is about micromanaging. Let's okay, talk a bit but... more about what that is. What is it? How does it impact people and how do we stop it? Yeah, micromanaging is also uh, when when you see micromanaging in the workplace, it is come out of fear. Why? Because when you see superior micromanaging uh, subordinates, this means that the superior doesn't trust well the the skills and capability of this uh, subordinate, and this superior is treating this employee as if they were children. So they, they have to indicate every single action to be performed. Instead, when you have an environment of love, trust, support, care, and compassion within the workplace, you trust that others will use their skill in the best way possible. And there is a very important aspect to highlight. Many psychologists observe that one of the most important needs of any human being, including workers, is the need for autonomy. When you micromanage people in the workplace, you don't allow them to make decisions in an autonomous way, using their skill, their discernment, and they tend to feel constrained, and they tend to feel suffocated, stifled, and they don't try to give their best. Why? Because everything is detected from uh, upper levels. Instead, when employees is trusted, when employees is allowed to give their best and use their potential fully, this employee will find much more creative ways to and innovative ways to do things as compared with a, an environment that is only that is only about micromanaging. And micromanaging is, goes hand in hand with delegation. If you are micromanaging people, you cannot delegate tasks that are probably, they need to be delegated to people that are capable of doing this and you have to trust them. So micromanaging is a very important sign of fear. You don't trust people. And I encourage uh, companies, when we train companies to, develop an environment of trust. There is a lot of research on trust and business. And when you have trust in a workplace, not only people get more innovative, but people also look for non-traditional ways to generate profit and sales. They also try to engage with their core capabilities and serve customers in a much more uh, meaningful way. So all positive aspects when come from an environment of trust. Micromanaging is the opposite to trust. Mm -hmm. So how do we persuade managers to trust their people? Because as you said, that's part of the reason that they're micromanaging yes, in the first place. Yes, yes. How do we break the cycle? Very interesting. Uh, well, it's a matter of empathetic attitude. So um, I will tell managers to ask themselves this question. If I was in the this employee's position, uh, the one that I'm micromanaging, mm -hmm. do I like to be treated this way? Uh, and this is about the golden rule. Don't treat others in the way that you don't want to be treated, that I mentioned in my book too. It's not only applied to religious aspect or a spiritual aspect, but the golden rule applies in business. Treating others in the way that you want to be treated. We're talking about not only employees, but also customers. I'm sure that nobody wants to be micromanaged. And also 
Does micromanaging bring about positive results? I will ask them also to evaluate the past performance to see if the results were outstanding because of this micromanaging or could be much better. And also in some cases, some uh, managers are a bit fearful of taking the big step. Well, I will ask them to start taking small steps. Maybe don't delegate the big task yet or the task that you consider that could be much more risky to be delegated, but they start with the small tasks like a baby steps. And when you are seeing that the employees are really, most of the employees are capable of doing their job well, well, you uh, continue delegating gradually much more significant task. But in some cases also, some employees might feel that they're not capable. In this case, manager can also help employees alongside other workers uh, through coaching or mentoring, because the idea is that every employee want to feel that they count. They want mm -hmm. to feel valued. They want to feel appreciated. If you're micromanaging them, you're putting themselves, you're putting them down. So you're not appreciating their skills because they are not they're not being trusted. So mm -hmm. the idea is that to support them, but also gradually start delegating a more significant task, uh, one that you observe that this is working well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so what about feedback and, and um, giving people yeah. you know feedback and, and helping them to improve their performance because yeah. that's all tied up with the, the yeah. same sort of approach isn't it very interesting i have a full chapter on feedback but briefly to summarize the most important points feedback should be always given in a positive note in a positive tone in a, a and taking into account the capacity or capability of this employee for improvement so in simple words feedback should be focused on behavior and not on personality. For example, if the employees uh, didn't do the work well, you can orient this feedback toward what they can do the next time in a better way. You won't criticize their personality, their character, but you focus on a specific action that were not performed well, but you word them in a positive way. Instead of saying you didn't do things correctly, you say, Next time, it will be preferable for you to do things in this way and that way. And also you give some tips on how they should do the task in the future. And you explain why it's important to do this way, in the correct way, explaining the, feed, the, the, the impact that this activity, when performed correctly, will bring about. So behavior-oriented instead of per personality-oriented, mm -hmm. but also should be focused on facts too. <laughs> You should explain why this thing should be performed in this specific way. Why is the correct way? You can say, because in this way, the sales will improve because of this, this, explaining the reason, because mm -hmm. employees don't want feedback that is unjustified. So justify, behavior-oriented, future-oriented too. This means talking about the future, how they can change the impact that they will generate and also try to understand that the way that the feedback is delivered, not only the content that should be delivered in a kind way, uh, is important. Why? Because most of the employees during the appraisal process tend to feel fearful. They are fearful of being judged, fearful of being penalized. And we saw that when you feel fearful, you tend to adopt the free fight fly mode. This means that your discerning skill get down your, your uh, thinking and um, creative skills tend to be impaired temporarily, and we don't want this. We want the opposite. We want the employees to be open to the feedback and delivering the feedback in a constructive way, in a kind way, 
it will be the, the best way because the employee will feel prompted to go ahead to take action. And also uh, some company, I want to mention some company that also uh, including in the second edition of the book, some company like uh, Netflix, for example, they understand that the feedback should be delivered in a constructive way. And these companies that is very successful is also trying to focus their feedback on behavior, what can be done, what is the best way to do this and justifying uh, uh, all this uh, type of uh, feedback. But also in that company also feedback can be given by the subordinate to superiors and vice versa. There is no limitation in the feedback. So because feedback is always perceived from a constructive perspective, not from a penalizing perspective. Mm-hmm. So I think, again, before we started, you talked about the concept of a loving workplace. Is that the phrase that you used? Yes, loving loving workplace, because we use in the book love. There is a lot of research now on love and business. We use in the book the, the concept of love, but it's not the connotation of love that you generally use with your friends, family or a partner that when you say to them that you love them. This is what we call the sentimental aspect of love. Here we're using a much more humanistic and broader aspect of love. We call this humanistic love, which include compassion, care, gratitude, generosity, support, empathy. So it's a broad connotation of love and can be applied to business relationship and non-business ones. And in practice, there is a, a very interesting paper on this that is called What Love Have to Do With It, a, a research paper in a journal that observed that when people are treated in a loving manner, they tend to give their best. Especially in the workplace, they tend to work the um, extra time without uh, caring the, if they're compensated in excess or not. They try to give their best. They try to not to work by the book. They try to, be, to make their work a meaningful and make a meaningful contribution. Instead, when people are treated in an unloving way, for example, when they are disrespected, when they are insulted, when they are bullied, when they are micromanaged, these people tend to shut down. They tend to work by the book. In, in some cases, they look for other job opportunities. Even when they have a good salary, good economic condition in this company, they will look for other job opportunities. Why? Because employees do not have only economic needs. They have emotional needs, for example, to be appreciated, to be supported by the company. And they have also mental needs, which implies need to, for example, be stimulated creatively, mentally, for example, training, coaching, job rotation and others. But also they have also a spiritual need from the broader perspective, which implies pursuing a meaningful purpose within this company, contributing to a very important purpose within the company. So when you focus only on economic aspects and you don't treat people in a loving way, you only pay a good salary, you are not satisfying all the range of uh, employees' needs and you're dismissing emotional need, mental need, spiritual need and others. So what about to companies that, that don't like the, the phrase loving? Because that you know, can okay. have... Well, they can use compassion. They can use compassion. Yeah. Compassion, compassion for the reason I didn't uh, title the book Loving because probably it was too shocking. But <laughs> compassion, compassion is a byproduct of love. And compassion implies, very simply, understanding how people feel and how people think, especially when they face difficulties. For example, suppose that an employee has some difficulties at home and a relative died or have a divorce 
uh, well, this is a very challenging situation for most employees. Well, how people in the company can act in a more compassionate way. Maybe the manager will allow this employee to work flexible hours. Maybe this manager will allow this employee to have a compassionate leave. Many this manager will allow this employee to enter work later uh, every day because of these difficulties. So it's important to understand that when people face challenges, and this can happen to all of us, we are all human beings, uh, people like to be supported. And when people are supported in the workplace, research observed that not only employees feel better, they feel soothed, they feel cared for, but also they have a better uh, image of the workplace. They say, oh, this is a supportive workplace. And they also they have a better image of the company as mm -hmm. itself. This means that this is a supportive company. When companies are compassionate, tend to attract more employees. They are natural magnet for talented people. Instead, when companies are exploitative, when they don't care for employees, when they bully or micromanage employees, these companies are ejecting employees and, and ejecting talented people that go to other companies. Mm -hmm. a, a very important point is that you can be compassionate and loving when you reduce the level of control in a company. Most of the companies have excessive control. I don't say that you don't have to control anything, but most companies have excessive control. If you want to buy a, a stationary items, you have to ask for authorization three times. If you want to uh, move your finger and, and do a different action as paired with the traditional ones, you have to ask for authorization. And employees in a very controlling environment tend to feel uh, constrained, fearful. They are uh, fearful of making mistakes. Instead, in a compassionate workplace, People feel supported. There is psychological safety. People can give their opinion and tend to feel at ease. And when people feel at ease, they are creative skills, they are innovative skills, uh, uh, and all other cognitive skills tend to be enhanced. Instead, when people feel constrained or fearful, these skills tend to be reduced or impaired temporarily. So mm -hmm. compassion can be used, and compassion is composed of three parts. Understanding how people feel, understanding also how people think and also try to help them. The last part of compassion is very important because if you understand how they feel and how they think and you don't help them, help them in different ways. Maybe you give them advice. Maybe you can refer to a counselor. Maybe you can allow them to have flexible time. Maybe you can support them, cover them when they have some difficulties. So there is always a way to help them and doesn't have to be economically you can help this in a in a very intangible way for example giving them a ear listening to them allowing them to express their views their fears and so on lovely thank you so just in the last few minutes we've got about uh, five minutes left of the show what can companies if somebody's listening and they feel like they don't have a particularly compassionate business they you know, are making some of the mistakes that you've talked about. What okay. can they do? How can they change? Very, what can they very, do now? Very interesting question. Two simple tips that they can do. They, they're easy to apply. And these are the most important takeaways. Two questions that the companies, anyone working for a company in any position, managerial position or the, uh, for example, customer officer, customer service officer, any position, they should ask these two questions. How can I be more generous? And how can I be more grateful? And let's explore this briefly. Generosity is a very important aspect in any successful business endeavor. And generosity doesn't mean giving something that is material to people. Most of the uh, important things uh, 
from the generosity perspective are immaterial. For example, and you have to give without expecting anything in return. When you create this positive cycle, generosity engenders generosity. The opposite happens. When people are not generous, the other people tend to act in the reciprocal way, in a non-generous way. For example, a manager can provide employees with support in different ways. For example, as I mentioned, mentoring and coaching activities are very important, even if the employee doesn't feel that they need this. But also, what about giving additional times to rest when possible? Also, there is a lot of research on when people have a positive work-life balance and they have more time to rest and spend their time with their family and hobbies and other activities, non-business activities, people tend to become much more productive. So I'm also, in some cases, company can provide with some uh, technical support or technical advice. In some cases, uh, companies can provide employees with some bonuses that are economic aspect, but generosity is a very important aspect. The second aspect that I want to mention briefly is gratitude. Gratitude is a very important aspect because you appreciate what is positive and this reinforces the positive. So when people are grateful because of the contribution, supposing that the employee was working for a, a month over time and the, the employee worked very hard to meet the deadline. Well, you have to be grateful. You are encouraging this employee to act in the same way in the future. Instead, if you ignore and you take this employee for granted and you don't say anything to this employee, you didn't even write a thank you note, handwritten, or you don't talk to the employee one-to-one -one in, a, in a personal meeting, this employee will feel neglected. And this employee next time will say, and you know what? I contributed to this company. I feel that I do not count. I won't contribute any longer. I will work by the book. So two main questions. How can I be more grateful and how can I be more generous? Generosity and gratefulness or gratitude tend to bring about a positive cycle of support, of care, of respect, positive energy within the workplace, people that support each other. Instead, the opposite happens when people are self-centered. They don't try to help others. And also when people take others for granted. Lovely. Thank you, Bruno. That's been really helpful. It's been great to talk to you today. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much, Joe, for the invite. And just to let you know, next week I'll be back again interviewing Alex Osborne from Shugel, and we're going to be talking about how meaningful connection boosts well-being and leads to high-performing organisations. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.